going to cover a lot of scripture um, because we need to look at this from God's word and from a scriptural point of view, uh, which is so vital. Let's, let's start Isaiah chapter 60. That's kind of been a launching pad for us. We're still really technically looking at multitudes and nations are our destiny. But there's an emphasis that I believe the Lord, want, the Lord wants us to go into today uh, that may last beyond today, okay? Uh, but it's so vital because I believe what the Lord wants to show us today is the game changer. Now, I know we've looked at this. We've looked at it in Arise Scotland meetings. I think Stevie's spoken this quite recently um, as well. And... But it's, it's, we're going to be looking at the fear of the Lord. Okay, and a lot of people don't like talking about the fear of the Lord because they see it as Old Testament. They see it as, you know, oh well, we should fear God. Uh, we should, that's an Old Testament concept. That's Old Covenant thinking. But no, we're commanded in the New Covenant to fear God as well. And the fear of the Lord is the game changer. So we're going to look at that. So, but let's start just, it says here, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord, or Yahweh, has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness of people, but the Lord will arise over you, his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, I believe this is talking about something that there may be a progression, there may be a process, but I think he's talking about arguably an event. In other words, what I mean by that is something has to happen for the nations to start coming. Okay? Now, we might just say, well, that's revival, or that's the awakening, the great awakening that everybody's believing for. The divine reset, and it, and it could be all of those things, of course. But whatever it is, you say, well, why is this not happening right now? Okay, because this is talking about, I believe, planetary, a planetary turning. The whole earth is turning. We've been looking at multitudes, we've been looking at nations, we've been looking at how God has every creature in mind and all nations in mind. So something has to happen. Now, there may be small things, incremental things. That, that they're not necessarily small, but they're big steps, like Roe v. Wade being overturned. That's part of maybe the process we're talking about, where there's a turning. And, of course, it tells us here, the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. So we know that it, it could be a, a process, a progressive thing, uh, something that gathers momentum. But I also think it's like there's going to be some suddenlies in there, if not one big suddenly. That all of a sudden, you're going to go to church on Sunday morning and there's seven, 800 people standing waiting to get in. First, you know, the first week and then maybe several thousand the next. There's going to be something happens. And he tells us here, I say, your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen and people see it. It's manifest. See, if people could see the glory that's in you and on you right now, these streets would be full. But we don't even see it sometimes, do we? We don't see who we are in Christ, because if we did, that glory would be manifest. As, we, as it's revealed to us, it's manifest to other people. And sometimes we get glimpses of it, and sometimes we may be going to a meeting and the glory turns up and there's you know, there's glory clouds and all that and gold dust and people falling out under the power. And those of us old enough to remember like Toronto uh, years, the 90s and so on, that was just church, wasn't it? If you're in a certain... I mean, the church I went to, that was just church. If it didn't happen, in fact, it never didn't happen. Amen? And sometimes you had to try and put a cap on it because it just got wild. Church was wild back in the 90s. Oh, we want those days back, but we want to go beyond that because it's not just getting a Holy Ghost tummy tickle, folks, rolling about the floor and feeling good and getting into a trance and, you know, shaka, 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 you know, gibbering in tongues and shaking and all of that. It's being empowered 
to go out into the world and bring the glory out there so that it's seen upon. Amen. So, uh, so how does that happen? Well, I'm going to tell you, the fear of the Lord is how it happens. Okay, let's turn to Psalm 33, verse 8. We've got a lot of scripture to look up. Uh, so we're going to look, up, look it up just now, uh, some of it. Psalm 33, verse 8. And remember, we're, we're trying, we're allowing the Lord, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our minds so that we go beyond. We're content with 20, 30 people in a small hall as long as we've got enough to make, make the rent uh, and we're just going to settle for having small church. And we're going to pretend to ourselves that the most important thing is discipleship, uh, growing deep rather than growing wide. Amen? So it's not about numbers, Pastor. Well, it is about numbers because my Bible tells me there's a great multitude before the throne in Revelation chapter 7. And you can put every single Christian right now uh, into a stadium in Glasgow and probably have a lot of empty seats. That's not a great multitude, folks. Okay, so we need, to, we need to be allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to renew our thinking, to think harvest multitudes, you know, millions, rather than a few hundred. Okay? So, Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. All the earth. All the inhabitants of the earth. But notice it says that all the earth fear the Lord, that all the inhabitants stand in awe. And that word fear can mean, of course, to be in awe, uh, to be awestruck. But it also has, it's so important to emphasize this, um, and, and we have done that um, over the course of the last while at our meetings, it also can mean to be in terror of. You know, the healthiest thing that you can have in relation to God is to be in terror of Him. Because when you're in terror of the Lord, you won't fear man. And you won't fear governments. And you won't fear what the devil can do to you, as Jesus said. Don't fear what, what he can do. Fear what the one who can cast your body and cast your soul into hell can do. You know, it's healthy to fear the Lord. It's healthy to have a terror of the Lord. Because it'll keep you clean. The fear of the Lord is clean. The Bible says. Amen? So we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. You know, man was actually created for fear. Okay? But not the fear that the devil brings. Not the fear of snakes, or, or of the dark, or of death. The fear of death, actually, is the great master fear that brings mankind into bondage, tells us that in Hebrews. But the fear of the Lord, because fear as we know it, fear of snakes, fear of you know, demons and all that stuff, um, that is the perverted fear. But the fear of the Lord is the healthy fear. Amen? And you know, if you fear the Lord, that means you believe in him, because if you didn't believe in him, you wouldn't fear him. And that, there's the problem, folks, right there. There's the problem of planet Earth right there, is that people do not, Simply do not fear the Lord. Psalm 36, verse 1. And it, it says this over, uh, I think it's Romans as well, Romans chapter 3. Psalm 36, verse 1. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. In other words, this is what's in my heart that God has shown me, God has spoken this in my heart, the psalmist the same, which is David. An oracle within my heart, what God has revealed to me in my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. And here's what he says. There is no fear of God before his eyes. 
He's saying that the, the wicked don't fear God. And I want to put it to you today that every single problem that we have societally or in society, in our culture today, is that men don't fear God. Men don't fear God, so they'll pass laws making abortion a, a right for women and defend it. The killing of babies, the slaughter of the innocent, which has been done across the earth now millions and millions and millions of times over the last few decades. Millions slaughtered, denied the right to life, denied a destiny. I don't believe that any one of those aborted babies had a destiny to be aborted. And why did, why did we enshrine that in law and still do in Britain today? Thank God for Roe v. Wade being overturned in America, but it's, we've not had it overturned in Britain, the, the so-called right to abortion, because there is no fear of God before his eyes. And that's a strange statement, isn't it? See, what I'm trying to get across to you today is, if you want to see multitudes in nations, we need a game-changer. We need something that has to happen in society. And it can't just happen. It can, of course, happen locally. It happened individually to all of us. But we want a lot more than just us, don't we? We want that it happens nationally and globally because we call that revival. We call that the Great Awakening or the last Great Awakening, all the different names, the Elijah end time outpouring, whatever name you have for it. And they're all just labels. We want to see the multitudes and the nations come in that great harvest. So what's going to cause that? I believe the thing that's going to cause it is what we're talking about today. Because the reason it's not happening is there is no fear of God before his eyes. Before his eyes, what's that talking about? What's that talking about? It's a strange, kind of awkward, clumsy restatement. There is no fear of God before his eyes. There's no fear of God before the eyes of the wicked. Well, what have the eyes of the wicked got to do with that? Well, that's what we're going to look at. It says here, in the next verse, he flat, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. You see, you have to hate to do wickedly. You see that? You don't kill babies because you love them. Okay? You kill babies because you hate them. Because you hate something that's made in God's image. You see that? It's, it's the hatred of God and the hatred of his image in those babies. Every single baby has the image of God in them. So who wants to kill them? Well, Satan. But so do men with no fear of God before their eyes. See that? And that's what we're looking at. So, there is no fear of God before his eyes. And we're going to come back to this. But I want to show you something. This is what the Lord showed me and it's so vital. You see, what? Before the eyes of the wicked, there's something before their eyes that's preventing them from seeing truth. Yeah? And they're not seeing the fear of God. You see, if, if you could put the fear of God into any person right now, if, if you could take it and lay hands on them and the fear of God hit them, what's the first thing they'd do? Cry out. When they saw that there's a God to be feared. When they saw reality. When they saw the reality of eternal torment. Eternal destruction. Eternal fire. You see, people say, I'd rather go to hell because it's all the interesting people up there. People make statements like that all the time, don't they? But that's because they don't know what hell's like. That's because they don't know the reality of the lake of fire. That's because they don't know the reality of an eternity without God. So they make all these grandiose statements. I'll be going down below, I'll be going up above. All of that. They say it because they don't have the fear of God. But if they had the fear of God, 
they do what you and I did when the fear of God came into our heart, they'd repent and get right with God, wouldn't they? Jesus come into my heart because you saw something, you saw there's a God to be feared. Now you may have had it revealed to you as, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, and, and it might have been nice and gentle, but a whole bunch of people that get saved, they get saved because the terror of the Lord and the terror of a lost eternity hits them. Yeah? And they don't want to go to hell. They don't want to spend eternity in the lake of fire. So they get right with God. Why? Because the fear of God has come in. The fear of, the, of God has confronted them. You know, how many Christians um, got saved because the fear of God confronted them? Let me tell you, every single one. Amen. It may have been far more intense for some, some than others, but folks, the fear of the Lord is what saves us. Isn't it? You know, people walking about, I don't care about you, you're Jesus, and all that. They don't have the fear of God before their eyes. So, what's wrong with their eyes? What's wrong with their eyes is they don't have the fear of God before their eyes. In other words, they don't see eternal reality. They're seeing a deception or they're blind to eternal reality. Okay? And you know, every single revival, I speak about it a lot, uh, Norman McLean, the man I, I was a mentor to me from the Lewis revival, I mean, to say man of God, dear, dear Lord, what a man. You know, Norman McLean wasn't uh, brought, you know, oh, goody, goody, two shoes and chucks, never at a church. He was walking along the road, I believe, blind drunk, doing everything he could, hard of heart, everything he could to stay out of the revival, walking along the road, and boom, the power of God hit him, and the fear of God hit him. He wasn't in the meeting listening to the preacher. He was out there running away from the preacher, folks. But what, happened, what changed him, the fear of God hit him at the roadside, and I, I believe he went down to his knees, and what a man of God he became. What changed him? The fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord, maybe some, somebody was praying for him. Obviously. But folks, what I'm trying to say to you is, all those folks in the Lewis revival, all those folks in the Welsh revival, and out of every revival in history, it's because the fear of God came upon a community. Okay? It's not because they just woke up one morning and said, you know what, life's boring, let's, just, let's go to church and become Christians. That didn't happen. That doesn't happen. Okay? And even if it does happen, that somebody says, well, you know what, I just woke up one day and thought I'm going to go to church. And, you know, somebody somewhere is praying that that person would have an encounter with God. And any encounter with God ought to teach us that, there's, that he is one to be feared. Now, I know a lot of Christians live their lives loosey-goosey and, and so on, and they don't really, I don't fear God because, you know, that's not, that's not how I roll. Folks, that's why there are so many carnal Christians. And that's why there are so many weak and ineffectual Christians because the fear of the Lord, it's all through this book. If I was to do a study on the fear of the Lord alone, we could do that for 30, 40 years and not even scratch it. It's all through this book. We're going to look at some of it today, key parts of it today. Okay, just to give you, to whet your appetite. But it says here, Psalm uh, 36, verse 1, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Now, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll briefly look at this. Remember that there's, there's if it, it's no fear of God. We, we would say uh, negative fear of God. Okay, there's the problem. That's why they're wicked. This is a psalm about the wicked. And he says, the reason they're wicked, there's no fear of God. See, if you don't fear God, you'll just do what you want. Amen. Why are we not out this, this morning in the pub drinking ourselves senseless? Yeah? Why are we not out 
um, smoking crack or doing a whole bunch of other stuff because we fear God, folks. You know, it's, about, it's, it's more of a wisdom thing, Pastor. You know, we, we, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. Do you know, we need to understand what God is trying to tell us about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord isn't a feeling. Well, I don't know that I fear God. I don't feel that. Folks, it's not a feeling. It's two things. First of all, it's a decision that we make. And secondly, it's a spirit. And we'll look at that. But look what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. He says here, um, let's just read into it. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've renounced mercy, received mercy, sorry, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now watch this. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled by those who are perishing. In other words, even if it's hidden, it's hidden to those who are perishing. The wicked. Okay? Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. He's saying the same thing as the psalmist in Psalm 36. There's no fear of God because their minds are blinded. It's the same thing, okay? Their minds are blinded. The God of this age has blinded them who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Okay? For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bond servants for Jesus' sake, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What did we just what did we start with? Arise, shine, your light is come in the glory. The light of the light that's come is the glory. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness too. That's where we are. All those folks in the streets round about, in this city round about, in this nation round about, that aren't in church, that aren't uh, walking with Jesus, they're not doing it because they're in darkness. They're not doing it because their minds are blinded. They're not doing it because there's no fear of God before their eyes. They're blinded to the fear of the Lord. And he says, Our eyes shine, your lights come, the glory. They're all going to see. In other words, what he says, there has to be an event that all of a sudden those people who are blinded and in our darkness, they see the light, they see the fear of God, it hits them and they come in. Because that's what Isaiah 6 says, they're gathered together to you. They start coming in, your sons and daughters, they come from afar. Okay, a little one shall become a thousand, a, strong, a, a small one, a strong nation. Okay, what he's saying is multiplication and harvest because the light has come and the light of the glory of God that's in Christ has been revealed to them. And that light, folks, is the fear of the Lord. Okay? Go back to Psalm, 30, uh, Psalm 36. As I said, a lot of scripture to look at, and he's taught about there's no fear of God. It's just not happening. It's still in darkness. Their minds are blinded. That's, that's where we are right now. Oh, but we're believing for revival. Yeah, but how's revival going to come, folks? It can only come by a great revelation, just like it came in Lewis, and people walking, you know, along, doing about, going about their business, but it hits them. Same in Wales, same in every great revival. The Toronto was great. Or Rodney Howard Brown, whatever stream you walked in back in the 90s, but it, it blessed the church. Not a lot of folk get saved. It didn't really hit the unbelievers as much. Folks get saved, but I, what I'm trying to say is, is that there's one thing, a revival in the church, that gets us all shakamundo. But what about all those streets out there that if you were to stand here, what a vantage point we've got here, and you look out that window, and there are crowds coming down that street, pouring in that door. Something's going on in here. 
and awe and terror. See, when, when the fear of God hits people, you don't need to evangelize them. When the fear of God hits people, you don't need to tell them what to do. Beyond, you really just say, say this prayer, because they're already on the ground before the altar weeping. Crying out, crying out for mercy. Why? The fear of God has come. The greatest gift you can give a person, the greatest gift you can give a city or a community is the fear of the Lord. Because you don't even need to do a lot of teaching. When people are walking in the fear of God, you know, um, I, I remember a guy saying, um, teaching about uh, people that were coming into his meetings and they were engaging in really bad sexual deviancy. Okay? Um, they're into all sorts of stuff. But they were coming to his meeting and getting saved. And somebody says, what, what kind of counselling do you do? What kind of... He says, I don't do anything. He says, the minute they walk through that door, the fear of God hits them. And they kick their demons out and change their lives because the fear of God is Okay? So it's, it's the fear of God. And it's not whipping up a feeling, folks. It's just not that. Anyway, Psalm 36. Look at what it says here in, in verse 9. For with you, speaking to the Lord, is the fountain of life. In your light, we, we see light. See, I'm talking about several different things here that are really, in effect, just different ways of describing the same thing. Arise, shine, your light has come. And they're talking in Corinthians about the light of the glory of God. You see, when the light comes, you don't need to fight the darkness. When the darkness is there and the light comes, the darkness flees. Amen? And he says, with you is the fountain of life, in your light we see light. The fountain of life, that word life can be translated revival. The fountain of, in other words, what is the game changer? What, what can we do or pray for today or walk in today? And let me tell you what it isn't, folks. It's not bawling and squalling. It's not crying out. It's not that, oh Lord, please, we beseech thee stuff. Because a lot of that is just unbelief. Isn't it? Because God's heart to send the revival we need is far greater than ours to receive it. So what's, what's wrong? What's wrong is we're not walking in what we should be walking in because... We see it as bald and swollen. That's the answer. That's what. So how many people have bald and swollen for years? And, and I'm going to say this. This could be controversial. 50 years it's taken to overturn Roe v. Wade. And a lot of people are saying today, all those years of fasting and praying, they've paid off. Yeah, but what if it could all have been done a whole lot sooner rather than 50 years of fasting and screaming? What about a little bit of faith? What about a little bit of strategic and intelligent praying that could have made it been a lot less than 50 years? Because when was the last revival to speak of? Yeah, I don't believe that God wants us to spend decades of, you know, think about all the millions of babies that died in that 50 years. You, well, that was God's will. God decreed that it would take 50 years. No, he didn't. It took us 50 years. But he could have probably did it a lot quicker. We, we know he could have. So we need to start finding things in God's word and things by revelation of the Holy Spirit that shorten the time that it takes to, to do it, if you like, cheat. You could turn around and say, there are two ways to do things. Okay? 
And one is by listening to the Holy Spirit. And the second, uh, two ways to learn something. One is by listening to the Holy Spirit, giving us revelation. And the second is learning the hard way. And most of us choose learning the hard way, don't we? So that we learn our lessons with a lot of pain, a lot of grief, a lot of crying. <laughs> Amen. You know, I, I remember years ago, um, my favourite scripture years ago was Lamentations 3 verse 1. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. I love that verse. That was my life story. Suffering for Jesus. Okay? I know what it's like to suffer. All men of God will suffer greatly. For the Lord. I am the man that has seen affliction. By the rod of his I loved that verse. That was my life story. And then one day the Lord showed me, see all of that suffering you've done, son, yeah. Self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted. You're not suffering for Jesus. You're suffering because you're a chump. Oh, and I didn't like that. Oh, Lord. But actually, I loved it. You know why? Because it taught me that rather than walk that religious path of it's all about me and my suffering. No, folks, it's all about what he suffered so that you and I don't have to suffer. Now, there's suffering involved. Suffering's part of life. Okay, we suffer the contradiction just like Jesus did. But a lot of that suffering for Jesus stuff that we do is just an ego trip or a deception, okay, that somehow or other it can only come through suffering. Anyway, a little bit of testimony there. So let's quickly do this. If this goes into you next week, I'm cool about it, but I do want to cover the important points. Proverbs chapter 14. Even if we get all the scriptures out and we can get into the depth about it. But it's so important, folks, for the fear of the Lord is the game changer. I believe that. You never had a revival anywhere, anytime, that the fear of the Lord wasn't part of it. You know, you've heard Stevie and myself talk about Finney would go into the factory, that's a famous story, or different places. And even the people he wasn't speaking to, but that were in his vicinity, started weeping and crying out for mercy because the fear of the Lord came. Amen. And it's not a fear that hurts you, it's a fear that sets you free. And it's not something that you have to feel. You can feel it, you will feel it, if you make the decision, you Lord, I fear you. I choose to walk in fear of you. And yes, it's reverence. Yes, it's awe. Yes, it's that hushed, oh Lord, you know. But there's also, folks, let's be, I, I, I know I have. Have you ever had the terror of the Lord? Amen. You know, in the early church, they stuffed out no fear of God before their eyes. But Ananias and Sapphira fell because they lied to the Holy Spirit and great fear came upon them all. But it was a good fear. Because it meant nobody's going to lie to the Holy Spirit after that. Amen? We need some of that back, don't we? We need to walk into meetings and encounter his presence and, and get on our knees and say, Father, I fear you. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. To turn one away from the snares of death. Now I remember. Way back in victory. In the 1990s. And at the encouragement of Pastor Alec. I started my ministry. Properly. As in formally. As in made that decision. I'm going to do this. And Alec was a great encouragement. And I went before the Lord and I had a word, I had a name for my ministry a few years before, and, but somebody else in the interim had taken that and it was well known. So I said, well, I need a new name, Lord. And the Lord says, it's going to be called Living Fountain. And I went, you're kidding. Where's that, you know, sword of, you know, sword of the Lord? You know, where's that house of victory? You know, something... Living Fountain, not easy. I didn't really like the name. 
But oh boy, since then, the things that's happened to me because of that need, including being given a hundred-year-old prophecy uh, and, and told by a man and, and, and by a, a, a church that knew the, that ministry name before I was even born. And that's just one thing. But now I look at it and I go, fountain of life, living fountain, the fear of the Lord. It's a wonderful name. I love it now. But folks, the fear of the Lord is a living fountain. It's a fountain of life. You see, if you have that fear of the Lord in you, it's a fountain in you. It's bubbling up in you all the time. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers. There'll be in you a spring, a fountain of living water coming out all the time. And what is it that that is? It's the fear of the Lord. It's not, oh, Jesus is my homeboy. Amen? You know that casually? Yeah, Jesus and I, we're buddies. You know, I heard a prominent Christian speaker, leader, I'm going to name names. But I heard him say, you were there, I think. The big man. The big man. The big man. Big man in the sky. You know, the big guy. I don't like that, folks. There's no fear of the Lord there. There's no reverence there. You know, uh, it's one thing all these people out in the street, oh, the big, you, you, you're one of these guys that believe in the big man. Folks, you know, the Billy Connolly thing. This was a prominent Christian leader of a world-famous ministry. The big man. I don't like that stuff at all. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. You see, you know, if you can fear God enough to worship him with awe and reverence, he's not your homeboy, he's not your buddy, okay? He is the Lord of all. Amen? When it says what a friend we have in Jesus, it's not meaning what a mate we've got in the, the big man in the sky. A friend is a covenant term. And you never enter a covenant lightly with anybody because blood's involved. And it means to cut. Covenant means to cut so that blood comes forth. So the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. And, and over in that psalm we just read, it says, with you is the fountain of life. In your light we shall see light. You see, the fear of the Lord is the light bulb being switched on. Because people out there, they're not seeing the glory. Why? Because their minds are blinded. But if you could remove the veil, take away the blindness, what would they see? They would see eternal reality. That there's a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned and a God to fear. And walk very lightly before. As Bill Johnson talks about it, and he says, you know, when the Spirit of the Lord came like a dove upon Jesus, he didn't laugh. Now, he said Jesus is walking with a dove upon him all the time. Now folks, if, if a dove was to come and land on your shoulder, how much disruption in your life would it take for that dove to fly away? But not if you're walking gently. Not if you're walking with reverence. What if you're walking with the fear of the Lord upon you? That you don't want to do anything that would even in the slightest way grieve him. That's the fear of the Lord. That's how we're all called to walk. So, uh, let's just turn very quickly to Isaiah chapter 2. We might not get everything here today. We might get most of it, to be honest. Uh, We don't have that long. Isaiah chapter 2. And it says here, uh, verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days, we're in the latter days, aren't we? That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And mountains is a metaphor for kingdoms and powers, okay, and thrones, dominions. And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. 
Many people shall come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go up to the gathering. Let's go up to your church. To the house of the God of Jacob. He shall teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths. How many is coming? All nations. How many people are coming? Many. See, it's still the same theme. It's not, oh, there'll be wee crowds and wee remnants, folks. It's harvest. All nations, many people. He shall judge between the peoples and so on. Now, look what it says that uh, then goes on to say about the day of the Lord, uh, all the people that, that are not walking with God. Verse 10, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The terror of the Lord. You see, the unbelievers will hide from the terror. What, how do you hide from something you can't see or sense or feel? Do you understand? There has to be a revelation of God's reality, his presence, so that folks will fear him. The greatest gift you can give anybody is the fear of the Lord, which means a revelation of who he really is. And when you see that, the terror of the Lord. The worst king in Judah's history, far worse than even the kings of Israel, was a king called Manasseh. And it was really Manasseh's sin, if you go and study it out, that caused Judah to be taken into captivity. But in his last days, the book of Chronicles says Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord. I think it says there, worse than all the kings of Israel. And he was a king of Judah. The Davidic throne. But Manasseh, in his latter days, his heart was softened towards the Lord. And God showed him mercy. Okay? But what happened to Manasseh? Because he had no fear of God. The fear of God hit him. And he changed. You see, when the fear of God hits even the worst of, the, of wretches, they, you, you and I might go to heaven one day and be shocked who is there. Because somehow the, the fear of the Lord intercepted them before they died. And it changed them, changed them in that they cried out for mercy and were regenerated. And you know, the worst of all sinners, Paul said, that was me. And God let him put that in the Bible. And how many here, I'm putting my hand up, would say, no, no, I was far worse than even Paul. That saved a wretch like me. Amen. How did it save you? Because the fear of God came and changed. Some people have got the fear of God all their lives. Then they just act and other people just don't care. They're just, I'll do what I want. But something happens. Somebody prays for them in the fear of God. The greatest thing you can pray for Scotland right now, and we'll do it before we close, is that the fear of the Lord comes across this land in every home and every heart. Because let me tell you, if the fear of God doesn't come, they're going to be blinded. There's going to be no light. There's going to be no fountain of life available to them. Enter into the rock, hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord. Verse 19 says, They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day, verse 20, a man will cast away his idols and so on. Verse 21, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The terror of the Lord is what makes people bow down or back off from their proud and arrogant lives and, and tremble before the Lord. Amen? And folks, we want the fear of the Lord to hit. You've been praying for somebody for years and they've hardened their heart, folks. The minute the fear of the Lord truly comes upon them, their hearts will be like these guys here. No more hiding, no more pretending, no more bravado, no more bluster, no more, uh, you know, I'm Billy, Billy Big Man. It's all, it's all changed. And then I want you to see this, and, you know, maybe leave it there, Isaiah chapter 11. Watch this. Because, let me just say this to you, this, the fear of the Lord is a decision. It's not a feeling. Now, you can, you can feel the feeling. 
Um, but you don't have to have the feeling to have the fear of the Lord. Because if you decide, I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord. And let me tell you, a lot of Christians don't walk in it. They don't. They get saved. They feel the Lord enough to get saved. And maybe they're going to meet and hear a strong message or rededicate their lives. But a lot of Christians just live their lives casually. Amen? And I believe, I'm going to say this, I believe when Christians start to get right and serious about the fear of the Lord, we're going to be able to release that fear of the Lord upon the multitudes. Amen? I'm about getting multitudes and nations to do what the Word of God wants them to do, says they must do, which is come into the kingdom. And I believe the fear of the Lord is a game changer. Now look at Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come, and we know this is talking about Jesus, don't we? There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. And you notice it's sevenfold Spirit here. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Do you know that one, that one of the, the spirits, if you like, the sevenfold spirit that's upon Jesus, which is that's talking about here, is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Amen. Now, all of these other things, the spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom and understanding, you don't have to walk in wisdom and understanding, but it's available, isn't it? A lot of Christians don't walk in wisdom or understanding. The spirit of counsel and might, you don't need to walk in that, but it's available. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, you don't have to walk in that, but you will be a weak and effectual Christian if you don't. The spirit of the fear of the Lord is part of your, it's, it's in your hard drive. Does that make sense? You know, oh, how am I going to get the fear of the Lord? Oh, how, do I need to fast? Do I need to pray? Folks, if the Holy Spirit is in you, if Jesus is in you, if you're born again, the spirit of the fear of the Lord is hardwired into you. You just have to walk in it. Amen? Does that make sense? A lot of the stuff that we, we beg and scream and bawl for it's stuff that he's already granted us and implanted in us um, um, and um, grafted into us. You ever bought something for your computer? I use this analogy a lot. You, you're using your computer and someone says, oh, you need this. So you go away to PC World or Curry's or whatever and you buy something um, so that you can put it on your computer. And you plug it in, it's a plug-in or you have to put the, whatever it is. And you get that thing and it might cost you a lot of money, but well, I've got it. And then someone comes along and says, you already had that in your hard drive. <coughs> We're like that. We look for healing. We look for prosperity. We look for all the things that are blessings, but we don't realize that the healer lives in us. That Jehovah Jireh lives in us. That everything that we need is already in us. We just have to let it, let it out. And do its work. So he says, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord is on this one, who the branch, and it's of course it's Jesus. Then look at this. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. What's it telling us? Jesus' delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus gets excited by the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not some for old covenant saints living under the law, living under Mount Sinai. No, it's, 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 it's not a terror such as the fear of spiders or snakes and stuff like that. It's not that type of fear, folks. It's a fear that sets us free from other fears. By the blessed, by humility, and the fear of the Lord are riches and honour and life. When you fear the Lord, it attracts the blessings. 
Amen? So, we can look at that and we have a little bit what it can do for us as Christians, but folks, what can it do for people out there? You, we, want to, we want to pray a lot of stuff, we want to get all complicated sometimes in our prayers, but folks, it's not about that, it's simply about this. Pray the fear of the Lord on them. Because once somebody has the fear of the Lord in them, it's like a guidance system straight into the arms of God. Isn't it? You don't know what you're doing. You just cry out. Some people just cry out the name Jesus. Other people, oh Lord, you know, whatever it is. But when the fear of the Lord is in your heart, now you might be a meeting and an evangelist tells you this is what you do, or the pastor tells you, say these words after me. But if you, I didn't get saved in a meeting. When, you, when you're on your knees and you're crying out, it's not about the words. It's the fact the fear of God has hit you and it takes you straight to the throne. And folks, there's no greater thing I can give for all these folks in these streets all around us than to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, let the fear of God hit every home in this area and every heart. You can be specific and pray upon specific people, but I believe the Lord wants us also to pray upon the multitudes. Amen? We're going to leave it there today, folks. Um, we, we might come back to this next week. There, there are other things to look at with this. Um, and so there's, there's, more to, there's more to explore. Let's just have a wee quick 